book of Daniel. I want to give you a brief but powerful scriptural truth this morning from the beginning chapter in the book of Daniel. Chosen to call it contagious courage. In a day when we have a lot of people ill, it's good that we could catch something good. <laughs> we'll pass it on. Really appreciated the good song there, Roy did. Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, into Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning and knowledge, understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning in the tongue of the Chaldeans. The king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, to Mishael of Meshach, and Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your face as worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hanai, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee. Ten days. Let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee. And the countenance of the children of, uh, that eat of the provision of the king's meat, portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days. At the end of ten days... Their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them. And among them all was none, found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, 
He found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his, all his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Pretty amazing. I want to show you why I chose the title for the message, Contagious Courage. Look back in verse 8. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Then he asked a request of Ashpenaz, the, the prince of the eunuchs there. At the end of verse 8, he said his request at that point was that he would not defile himself. So Daniel went to the man who was over them. If you can get this, Daniel and his companions were among a number of uh, very goodly children who seemed that they could learn, who were looked good and all that. Nebuchadnezzar had come through uh, Jerusalem, had taken part of the population captive, carried them away some 500 miles away from their home. And uh, now here they are. They're in, uh, they're in Babylon. And uh, they're going to be fed with the king's food. You say, well, that sounds like a good deal. Except for this. They were Jewish young people. They've been taught the Word of God. They're early teens, perhaps mid-teens in their age. And they are there, and that food which they're going to be given, they're not allowed to eat according to the law of God in the Old Testament. They may be fed pork. They could be fed catfish. They could be fed whatever type of meat which would be unclean. But there was an even more egregious problem with the king's meat. It was not unusual at all for the king's meat and for anybody in that situation to have offered up that meat to an idol. The Nebuchadnezzar worshipped false gods. And they would take the meat they were going to eat, the things they were going to do, and they would offer them up to one of these false gods. Same problem was happening in Corinth over in the New Testament. They had to deal with that also about things offered to idols. And then they would say, hey, we've offered this to whatever their God was. And then they would eat it and say, well, it's a special blessing. This was blessed in the name of whatever their false God was. The Jewish people were not allowed in any way to do that. So here Daniel is. He's a prisoner. He's not free. He knows it literally could cost him his life. And he goes to Ashpenaz, who is the prince of the eunuchs, and he says to him, he says, I, I want you, I, I request from you. I'm asking you, can I please not eat that? And Ashpenaz, of course, says, I, I can't do that. And if you don't look right, if you start getting sick, it'll cost me my life. I'm supposed to take care of you. And then, of course, Daniel said, for 10 days, give us pulse, which is a vegetable type diet. And he said, give us that to eat. And he said, then you judge and see what's going on. And so he had said that to Melzar, and we'll see more about that. But I want you to understand what was going on here. And so in verse 8, Daniel requested that he might not defile himself. He went straight to Ashpenaz because God had brought him into a favor with Ashpenaz. But then look in verse 10. Look at the answer that Ashpenaz gives there. Look what he says. And the prince of the eunuch said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your... What's the word? Daniel wasn't the cherubim. He didn't have multiple faces. Why should he see your faces? Watch. Worse liking than the children which are, like a little phrase, of your sort. 
there were children there from a lot of different kingdoms. The Nebuchadnezzar kingdom, they had taken over a lot of places. And they were taking people in from all those places. And they were looking for the good list and the, it seems like the children who could be best educated. And Nebuchadnezzar would bring them in and train them, have them trained, and then he would put them in position within his kingdom. And he, he says here in verse 8, when Ashpenaz says this, he says, why should your faces be worse looking? He said, why should they be different than the other children of your sort? So he's made a distinction with them. But look at this, what happens. Then, verse 12, look how it changes. When Daniel came, he asked they wouldn't defile himself in verse 8, but then in verse 12, he said, prove thy, what's the word? Servants. It's not singular anymore. It says specifically in verse 8 that he had asked that he might not defile himself. In verse 12, Daniel, as the spokesman here, says, prove thy servants. Then he goes down. Verse 14. So, he consented to them. That's Melzar. He had said, prove thy servants. And then he says, so he consented to them. Not him, them. Verse 15. And at the end of 10 days, their countenances. Then look in verse 16. Then thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. What happened there with that was it was the contagious courage. You initially have Daniel saying, I'm going to take the stand. Here's what I believe. And apparently, apparently, the ones we know commonly as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Apparently, they had reached the same type of conclusion. And Daniel speaks up and they say, we're going to stand too. Later on, you have the burning, fiery furnace. I mean, you know about Daniel and the fiery furnace. Daniel didn't go in the fiery furnace. Daniel is not there in that narrative. A lot of different speculation about what happened with Daniel at that point. Let me tell you what they all have in common. They're speculation. And so I'll leave it in that realm. But what I do know, because the Bible reveals it, is at that point, faced with what seems certain death, unless they bow down to an idol... Those three young men that were with Daniel, they stood the test. Now somewhere at this point, courage became contagious. And one was encouraged by the other. Do you know that part of the reason in the New Testament it tells us in the book of Hebrews that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is? But so much more as the day approaches. Do you know in that context, do you know what else it says? That we are supposed to be encouraging and exhorting each other daily. We're supposed to encourage each other to serve the Lord. Why? Because there's a courage that is contagious. I wish I had the specific of the name to give you. It's an interesting account of a uh, fellow is a preacher, a Welsh preacher, and this is in the 1800s. And he had a fellow who was a blacksmith. He was a smithy. He did, the, did blacksmith type work. And this fellow who had been faithful to church, was a believer, had started becoming very unfaithful in church. And just very sporadic and such. 
And one day his, he was working, the smith was working with his, his heat and he had his coals there and he was working on whatever it was. And the preacher came in to visit him. And as they spoke and he asked him about the, uh, you know, he said, concerned your attendance, I'm concerned, you know, something entering into your life, how can we be a help? They uh, said the fellow said, well, you know, I'm still serving the Lord and I still love the Lord and that. And, and so he said the, the preacher went over and got tongs or something there along where he was working. And he said he started taking his coals and scattering them. Dispersing them. And the blacksmith watched and he said, stop. He said, don't do that. He said, I'll get there where, where I can work with it. He goes, what are you doing? He said, he said I'm scattering out the coals. And he said, don't do that. He said, you scatter the coals out away from each other, they won't keep their heat. At that point, the wise pastor put down the instrument he had in his hand and walked out the door. And he like that for a brief but effective sermon. And with my knowledge of working with people for a lot of years, the man who that happened to either got right or totally ignored it. But at least he knew the truth, eh? And so what happened is this courage is like that. Especially in a day when it is so easy to be inundated with things which would discourage you for serving the Lord. And then many of God's people unwisely make that their main course of intake. Hour after hour. Podcast after podcast. Media after media. All the things against the Lord, all the things of negativity, all the things of putting the emphasis on man and diminishing God. It's amazing how many of God's children were listened to. They'll listen to about everything. They don't listen to good preaching. They don't listen to something to teach them. Or even just have a Bible program and listen to the Bible read to you at times. And we are not wise in the fact that we don't realize our courage has to be strengthened. I, I've received... Text and a little encouraging text here in the last few weeks from a couple of brothers that I'm telling you just encouraged. It basically said such things as keep preaching the word, uh, keep giving the truth. It's helpful. You say, well, can't you go on without that? I reckon so, but it's a whole lot better to go on with it. <laughs> oh man, courage is contagious. Courage is contagious. We had years ago, a man got upset at, with me. Uh, about things he was actually upset with a lot of things in life I just kind of was the channel for that attention at the moment and he called me and was berating me on the phone he was telling me uh, what a horrible pastor I was he was telling me how I was just in it for the money <laughs> and he was he, I mean, it was wild it was a wild call he's just telling me I was typical he almost called me a cult leader and I thought man I, I have a real slack control if I'm a cult leader and uh, he, he just he went through all this and I, I hung up the phone and it felt like somebody just walked up and vomited on you, you know? It was like, ugh. He said, preacher, that's graphic. Yeah, that's the way it felt. And, and as I'm sitting there dripping from the venom, I thought, oh my goodness. I still remember exactly where it happened. I got in the car. I was walking back down and I had been up checking on something I need to do up on the property and was figuring out when to do that. And I got that call and I was coming down and I stopped and I thought, okay. And i uh, like, well, there you go. And literally hung up took not two more steps, and the phone rings. And I thought, round two? It wasn't. I saw it was Brother Larry Wills. And uh, I thought, no, no, that's good. <laughs> I'll answer that one. You know, you're, you're kind of twitchy to answer after one of those. And I answered the phone and said, hey, Brother Larry, like that. 
And he said, Pastor, he said, I don't usually do this. I don't know why. He said, I just wanted to call you and tell you you're a good pastor. I appreciate you. Thank you for preaching the word. And I hung up. That's all the long conversation was. And I literally said, I hung up that call. And I said, I'm going to listen to that one. Uh, the other one, here, third in the dumpster. I'm going to listen to that one. I wonder. You say, well, would you have given up if not? No, if nothing else, I'd kept going just despite the first one. But listen, it's so much better if someone's encouraging you, if somebody's helping you along. And you say, yes, I need that. Yes, you do. And it's not a wrong thing to want that. But how much better when we realize we can encourage somebody. It was interesting, uh, the fellow yesterday, there was an older couple that sat over by us. We grabbed by lunch after we went out soul winning, and there was an older couple that was over by us, and uh, they didn't make big fanfare, but they bowed their head and prayed, and when they were done, I looked over, and the gentleman, very tall gentleman, he, I said, hey, thank you for honoring the Lord, like that. Didn't make a big show of it. And you ought to have seen it. This great smile came out and he's like that. <laughs> I didn't expect that out of him. Just, you had to see him. It looked real sweet. He's like, like that. And, and I thought, you know what? We, courage is contagious. Courage is contagious. When you see someone stand, it helps you to stand. And when you stand, you help someone else stand. You say, well, I don't have a position. Yes, you do. You're a member of the body of Christ. You say, well, I don't have any particular responsibilities. Yes, you do. You have responsibility to the Lord who loved you and bought you. And we can be courageous in the Lord. And when we do it, it helps others be courageous. To be strengthened. Every now and then I send texts to different preacher friends of mine and thank them for staying in it. Thank them for staying at it and, and for loving the Lord because it's encouraging that they do that. And let me give you these quick things. Courage uh, is contagious. Courage was revealed in the condition of conflict. It's hard to imagine a foreign entity, I mean, completely different group of people in every way, coming in and taking over your country, your town. Those of us Americans who have grown up in our country cannot imagine that happening. In fact, we mistakenly think that somehow this country is impervious to that, that it could never happen here. And uh, you're very mistaken if you think that. But the, but the thing is, we've not experienced that. We've not had a foreign entity invade our soil since the War of 1812. World War II, there were... Ships sunk right off the New Jersey Harbor. There were a few bombs that hit us that were sent over in strange ways. Oddly enough, some of them by balloon from the Japanese in World War II. But we have not, on the mainland of America, not counting the Aleutian Islands, on the mainland of America, we have not had a foreign invasion. Well, I'm not talking about immigration stuff now, but I'm talking about as far as army. They, we've not had a foreign invasion come in since the War of 1812. Now, if you're from the South, you may feel differently about that, but uh, we had a uh, we haven't. But it happened here. Talk about conflict; they're taken away. Talk about tough. May, how old are you, Lucy? Probably about your age. Just being taken away from the uh, from everything you knew, and this courage was revealed in the condition of conflict. I don't, I don't believe for a minute that Daniel, while he was in Jerusalem, and by the way, the prophets were preaching judgments coming, people weren't listening to them. In fact, if you read the prophets, what the people were saying is, what are you talking about? We're prosperous. Things are going on. Things are going to be fine. Boom. Dropped out. They wouldn't listen to the prophets. 
But while that scenario was going on, I don't think Daniel was sitting there saying, I wonder if I could stand up during that. He's a, he's a young person. God gave him the courage when the conflict came. Second of all, the courage was centered in a purpose and settled heart. That's what it says. Look in Daniel 1. It says, Daniel purposed in his heart in verse 8. That's a well-known verse, isn't it? But he purposed. That's where courage came from. Um, it's the same kind of courage that Abraham had. And you go over to Romans 4. I'll not turn you there now, but Romans 4, if you want to mark that down, verses 19 through 22, you'll find that Abraham staggered not at the promise of God because he judged what God said he was able to do. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. It's that kind of courage of saying, I believe God can do what he says he'll do. I believe that God is worth following. It comes from a purposed heart. Courage never comes from arrogance. Arrogance never breeds courage. Um, that's why bullies are cowards. Because prideful arrogance does not breed real courage. Uh, people that say, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll take this stand. That's not where courage comes from. Courage comes from purpose. Just something settled, solid, and saying this is the way I'm going to do it and this is the way I'm going to follow the Lord. He'll give me grace. Courage is based on who you believe in. Keep your place in Daniel, but look real quickly. I do want to show you this verse. Look in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Courage is based on who you believe. Look in verse 12. It says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Need enumerated some of the things which had come on him. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. Part of that, he wasn't ashamed of the Lord, but he didn't have to be ashamed of his behavior. He didn't act in a cowardly way. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I know who I believe. And I know what I believe he can do. Courage is based on who you believe. Sometimes early in a Christian's life, they'll kind of take a covering from their church or their pastor, or maybe a parent, maybe a teacher. And that's okay for the temporary. In other words, they'll get in a situation where someone's pressuring them or something's come up and they'll say, our ah, church doesn't do that. Somebody will be something up and pressure will come on somebody. Not just young people too, adults as well. And they'll say, well, our, our, our preacher doesn't let that, you know, we don't do that. That's okay to start there. That's not where you need to end up. Where you need to end up is somebody pushing you a certain direction, someone trying to cause you to do something you know not to be right, where you can have the confidence in who you believe just to look at them and just tell them very clearly, no, that's not what I'm going to do. Why not? Oh, who? No, no. It's, I don't believe it's honoring to the Lord. My understanding of the Bible brings me to a point where 
No. Is the answer to that. Well, I'm the world. Is somebody making you? No. This is for the Lord. Well, why in the world do you? Because it's for the Lord. Well, I just don't understand that. You may not, and that's fine. You have the privilege and right not to understand it. But this is for the Lord. I'm telling you, courage to actually stand by what you believe comes because of who you believe. Courage, that's the kind of courage that Joshua had. Listen to what Joshua said when faced with a situation that needed courage. He said to the children of Israel, he said, if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, dealing with a group of people who wanted to be rebellious, he said, if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, I believe directly relating back to where they were at in Egypt and that before they came through the Red Sea, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. He says to him, you decide who you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It was a who. He said, you choose who you're going to, but I'm going to serve God. And that kind of courage is built on who we believe. Not doing it for church. Broke my heart to hear again someone who's been among us before make the statement to Brother Carpenter, I'm not doing the church thing anymore. Well, if all you're doing is a church thing, you make it to the point you don't do it anymore. But if it becomes a who, if it's somebody to you, if it's actually you and the Lord Jesus Christ and it matters in your heart how you affect Him and what your life is like, if it matters whether or not you grieve the Holy Spirit whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption, if that matters, then it becomes a source of real courage. Not some kind of chest-thumping machoism, but courage, strength. That's what God wants. And it's contagious, by the way. It's very contagious. And I partially explained this to you, but it's kind of interesting. Courage is coming to grips. It was courage they had in coming to grips with reality he faced. <laughs> he didn't keep saying, oh, I just want to be back in Jerusalem. Oh, I just want to be back in Jerusalem. I bet he did. Oh, I wish things could go back like they were. Oh, I bet he did. But that wasn't the reality he was facing and courage includes coming to face with reality, accepting the fact it is reality, and then dealing with it in a godly manner. It takes courage. If all you do is hide in a future uh, or in a past which is now gone, then you have nothing to offer the future. You have to come to grips with it. Courage was displayed in his wise and. Uh, Pursuit, his application, the firm principles, the way he went about it. This is neat. This is about courage being contagious. When he went to Ashkenaz, who was the prince of the eunuchs, he actually made an error in doing that. He said, why? That's why he got shut down. We find in the scripture that Ashkenaz was over all these, these folks who were taken captive. And then there was a fellow named Melzar who was beneath Ashkenaz, who was particularly over Daniel and his companions. But Daniel had a close relationship with Ashkenaz, so he jumped over the guy that was actually in charge of him. And he went to his boss and said, hey, can we get an exception here? And he, he went about it in the right way and as far as his manner. He didn't come in demanding or say, you can't make me. I, he, he went. Bottom line was Daniel was going to stand. 
He proved that later at about 70 years of age when he got thrown into a den of lions because of his stand. Bottom line was he was going to stand. But he was not arrogant and cocky. He didn't go and say, well, that's what I'll do. You can't make me do. That's not right way of doing things. But he also made procedural error. He jumped the fellow who was directly over. It's what it tells you right there in that chapter how it was set up. He jumps over Melzar's head and goes to Ashpenaz. And when he goes to him and says, hey, you know, can, can we do this? Ashpenaz goes, no. I answer directly to Nebuchadnezzar. And if you come up sickly, I'm dead. And I am not losing my head over you or anybody else here. So what happens the next thing you see, Daniel backs up. He's young. He backs up and he comes to Melzar, <laughs> the guy directly over him. And he makes the same request. And Melzar's there and Daniel says to him, he says, let's do a test. He goes, let's do a test. So he comes to Melzar and says, I don't want to put you in jeopardy, but let's do a test because I am my God. And he goes, okay, we'll see how it works out. And you realize what Daniel did in that courage? He put it on God to come through. Because he wouldn't, he wouldn't say, oh God, I want you to perform for me. He was saying, God, I'm obeying what I know your word says. I, I, I have to have you come through. I'm done here. But whatever happens, God, I'm going to obey you. It's the same thing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did later when, when the king said, who is that God that will deliver you out of my hand? He says, whether he will deliver us or not, we know not, O king, but we will not bow down and worship. They said, we can't tell you for sure if God's going to save us out of this fiery furnace because they had no precedent. They had no great promise of that kind of deliverance. They said, we can't tell you how it's going to turn out, but we can tell you who we're going to obey. But that's courage. That is real courage. And it's a great price. It's a great value. Whether it be found in a young lady, whether it be found in a young man, whether it be found in a middle-aged person or someone in their senior years, it's a great thing to find courage that is born of God and who He is. And that's what they did. And the courage led them to do this in this manner. And then, let me say to you, it's kind of interesting. Look at the very last verse of the chapter. The very last verse. It'd be very easy to end that chapter and jump to the next and not catch it. It says, And Daniel continued even to the first year of King Cyrus. I put this down with it. It was courage which caused him to stay true to the scriptural purpose of his living. And it carried him to a place of maximum usefulness. Daniel was useful under four different kings. And some of y'all in here really love history. You study some stuff in history. You realize how unique this is. Four different kings. He went in under Nebuchadnezzar, got exalted to the very high position in the kingdom, and served under Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar has a son, potentially a grandson, they called him the same thing sometimes, called Bel Belshazzar. Um, Daniel's um, Babylonian name they gave him was Belteshazzar. The king's name was Belshazzar. And Belshazzar was a useless playboy nothing of a king. He basically took this huge kingdom that his dad had built and was just living off of it and partying down. And he was very, very... He, he didn't have what Nebuchadnezzar had. Nebuchadnezzar may have in his early days and up through most of his kingdom been a very, uh, a very despotic ruler and, and one who didn't 
didn't mind executing people if he needed to. But then, of course, God brought him down. Then, in the end of Nebuchadnezzar's life, he was praising and extolling the God of heaven. And he, he was honoring God with his life. But uh, that's not how he started with old Belshazzar. But he was a mess right to the end. And so he's having this big drunken party and bringing everybody in and trying to show off how rich he was, trying to show off how powerful he was. And he, there were these vessels that came from God's temple in Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar had had those. He took part of them away. He said, why did he take them away? Read Daniel. God gave them to him. When the people of God quit honoring the God that that temple honored, God said, let me show you what I do with your gold. You're so proud of this fancy building. Let me show you what happens when you get so enamored with the fancy building and forget the God that's supposed to honor. And so they have all these vessels, they have cups, they have all this stuff that came from the temple, but Nebuchadnezzar never messed with them. He just kept them. Old Belshazzar, he goes, bring out those things from the temple. And they bring him out, and he fills them full of booze in this drunken party, and they begin to praise the gods of silver and the gods of iron and the gods of gold and the god of wine, which is called Bacchus. He's very alive and well in our country. And he, he, he began to praise all this stuff going on. And you know what happened, don't you? Right over by the candlestick. You say, why by the candlestick? So you could read it. Why would you think? There's a man's hand appear, part of a man's hand, and wrote on there, me, name, me, name. Kiko, you farce it. Belshazzar had, didn't pay attention to Daniel. Didn't care about Daniel. Didn't care about the man who helped build Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And I'm convinced, and, and you guys have never concluded, that's fine because it's not categorically said in the scripture, but I think one of the things how Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom stayed together during the seven years he was like an animal was because of Daniel. But Daniel, in any case, Daniel's been pushed off to the side somewhere. Belshazzar doesn't care about him. And I said, the neat, I think it's hilarious. I think it's hilarious. I, I was telling the grandkids part of the story with that, and they thought it was funny. It says, his loins were loose, and his knees smoked one against another. Literally, and like the castanets. You know, this guy's scared to death. And somebody says, there's a man named Daniel. And so this king, you know, he does this whole area thing. I've heard of me, you know, right, 15 seconds ago. And he, gets, he calls Daniel in. And he says, can you interpret this? He said, yes. He said, thou art weighed in the balances and found one. He said, this day will the kingdom be taken from thee. And uh, the king says, oh, I'm going to make you a great leader. I'm going to give you these presents. And Daniel said, keep your presents. What good is it going to be? That very night, the entire place is wiped out. A complete turnover. Read about Read about it. And if you can find solid history books, you know. Um, read about that in one night what happened Babylon which could not be taken over Babylon which could withstand any siege was taken over and what happened a completely different group of people not an insurrection within the same people who were mainly led by the Chaldeans but a completely different group of people Medo-Persians took over it was not just a change of king it was a change of the kingdom and the leader at that time was a fellow named Darius. The fellow who was leading the charge was Cyrus. Later on, Cyrus would be in charge. You know what that means? In Daniel's time, four different kings, and he served under them all, was in high position on at least two of them, possibly three. He, he served under them. He spoke the word of God. He gave us the book of Daniel through the Spirit of God on him. And he did all this. And by the way, as I mentioned earlier, 
When he goes to the den of lions, man's at least 70. I'm not a young kid. You say, how in the world? Here's the last thought. His courage in the Lord, based on who God was, caused him to stay faithful for the long haul and to be brought to a place of maximum usefulness. Listen to me well. I don't know what your maximum usefulness is in any area of your life. You don't know what mine is. But I do know this. You and I alike, we will be maximum useful if we have to derive our courage from God and who He is. And by the way, dear friends who are dads in this room, whatever age your children may be, that's one reason why it's so strong is the statement in the New Testament, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, lest they be discouraged. Why is that? Because discourage is to take courage away. And if you take courage away, you take away what they have to have to stay at it for the long haul. Let me pray with you this morning. Father, thank you for your people. Thank you for the words of God. Thank you for courage born in our souls from heaven's bounty. I pray you'll bless. Help us, Lord, to obey you, to follow you, to stand true for you. We don't know what's ahead. We see a lot of different things on the horizon which concern us. God, may we just be true to you in our sphere, where we are and where you want us to serve. God, help us to stay faithful to you, please. Pray you'll bless. If I've spoken in the ears of one who doesn't know you this morning, if that's the case, Lord, bring conviction to them and may they understand they have a need of you. Pray you'll bless this invitation for your honor, please. Amen. Let's stand together, please. I invite you to come talk to the Lord. Today's a good day to say, God, I want to have godly courage. Joshua was told, be strong and be of a good courage. There's a type of courage that the Bible defines as good. And it's that which is based on the Word of God. We have a song invitation. Why don't you come this morning? If you would.